and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful edition of Normandy FM, colon, backslash, m-hyperspace, thetis edition. I don't know, Ken, we never decided on a good name for this, and we never will. We're going to do this every week. I guess so. I am Hopefully not Aaron everything Fennell. that has happened this week, every week. I, look, look. Weeks, weeks are weeks. Life is life. We just keep soldiering on. <laughs> I am your co-host, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. And today, joining us for our episode, we have a first-timer, one Andrew King. Thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. Hello, Eric. It is wonderful to be here. The fade is good. It's, it's not. It's, it's The fade is bad. <laughs> the fade is bad. Um... Full, full context for those at home, uh, we are, so due to hilarious technical difficulties, we are re-recording this episode, so if if some of this episode sounds slightly rehearsed or like we have gone through it before, uh, that is why. I always love it when I can listen to a podcast and I can tell like, oh, they probably had to re-record this one, so y'all, this we're, we're, we're up front this time. This is that one. <laughs> um... But Andrew, uh, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, like what you do and, and what specifically brought you to Dragon Age. Well, I am a freelance journalist uh, covering video games and the game industry and all that. Uh, and I uh, came to Dragon Age because I had been getting into uh, Bioware over the past year and a half. I had not played any Bioware games until Anthem came out. Well, I played I played uh, about eight hours of the original Mass Effect. I had not finished a Bioware game until Anthem came out. Mm. Um, and I you, got you I, started with the bad one. You started that's with right. the tough one. You got to eat your vegetables first, and right, you, right. You know, eventually I'm going to get to Mass Effect two, and that'll be uh, you know some uh, moose tracks, so, you know, some sherbet ice cream oh. to fin- finish this oh. meal off. I'm trying to eat healthy right now. You're not making it easy, man. <laughs> well, you know, tracks. you eat healthy, you eat healthy in the real world, and then you play Mass Effect 2 for your dessert in the virtual one. So you're right. You're right. That's what I intend to do. Uh, but yeah, I played Anthem uh, at the start of last year. And then since then, I've gone back and played some of Knights of the Old Republic and Neverwinter Nights. And uh, now I am on to Dragon Age Origins. It was time perfectly for me to, you know, start playing along with uh, Normandy FM Thetis Edition. So I we we brought it up in our previous recording, but I want to like delve a little bit deeper. So this is you're like kind of going back through Bioware history, and I'm I'm interested here. So uh, for those at home, Andrew is playing the City Elf Origin, uh, and. I'm interested to hear kind of what you think about Dragon Age as it is today. Like, playing it in the modern day for the first time, it being a game that is, you know, like, I, I believe 10 years old? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, well, see, I am sort of coming at it backwards because I played KOTOR and uh, Neverwinter Nights um, before I got to this game. And the... You know, the possible real-time combat that Bioware had done in their, you know, early 2000s, late 90s CRPGs, um, I don't think it, at least in those games, does not hold up nearly as well as the possible real-time combat in uh, Dragon Age. 
um, which is partially due to party size. Like in Neverwinter Nights, you can only ever have one other person in your party, which, you know, doesn't give you a ton of options. Uh, but then in Dragon Age Origins, you know, you have a normal, you know, four people on your party. You've got some space for, like, a mage, a warrior, a healer. Um, and so in that way, I think it's more interesting. And um, since I'm playing on PC... Uh, it uh, looks, I think, probably substantially better for me than it might for uh, people playing on console. Um, I feel like it... Actually, I've been surprised by, at least with like the graphic setting uh, cranked up all the way, I feel like it looks pretty good on my PC. Mm. Mm. You know, it's funny. For the longest time, the only thing I ever had associated with Neverwinter Nights in my brain was that in the sixth grade... This girl who I had a massive crush on uh, really liked Neverwinter Nights and Diablo 2. And I was this uh, basic gamer boy who just had a Game Boy Advance SP and just liked to play Advance Wars. And that was about my experience with gaming at the time. I was not like super deep into it. But uh, I'm now reflecting back on that those days long gone by today yeah my uh <laughs> my my uh ahem origins are similar <laughs> <laughs> they are uh, similar to yours and the, a big part of the reason i never got into bioware games um was just i didn't have the right uh hardware to play it on because um i had a you know Nintendo consoles growing up, a uh, PS3, like I had Sony consoles from PS3 on, and so, um, you know, couldn't play any of their PC games as I was growing up. And then, at the time that I was playing PS3, the Dragon or the Mass Effect games were not yet released uh, mm. on it. Mm. So I didn't get it. A... Oh, you can go ahead. Okay, um, Ken. It's funny. I, I just realized I was. I was like we did we ever talk about how we first played like the first bioware game we played did we ever talk um, about that in this long like 50 plus episodes of this podcast probably not like a dedicated moment for it no probably i mean passively but hmm. I don't uh, think so. what was yours what was your, i'm interested first time I, you played what, bioware uh the first one that i actually okay the first one i played in, in any capacity was Knights of the Old Republic and for those that don't know I don't fucking like Star Wars even a little bit so that game <laughs> did not stick with me for very long but then the one that I I guess the, the next one that I would have played would have been a Jade Empire and that was the first one I played to completion and by that point I was like sold on that studio and then Mass Effect came like shortly thereafter and the rest is history it's it's super weird for me because I remember I, I don't remember when it got in my brain that Mass Effect was going to be a big deal, but I think I I know I, I had a Game Informer subscription when I was younger that I think my grandpa got me. Um and, and I would I would read it, you know, I wasn't wasn't like an avid reader. I didn't remember author names or really like go by the reviews, but I always thought it was cool to read about all the hot new games that were coming up. Right. And I remember reading something that was like Mass Effect. Oh my god, you have to play Mass Effect. It's going to be this mm. amazing, incredible thing. And this, this studio called Bioware is doing all this stuff that you've never even thought of. And so I was I was going nuts over this game. And uh, yeah. I think this was probably the second time I ever bought an M-rated game. Because I think the first time would have been Call of Duty Modern Warfare. And... Mm. 
this Mass Effect was obviously M rated. So I remember having to wait. Was it was M rated, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, for a moment, I was like, wait, because I thought one of the Mass Effects, maybe like two, was rated teen, but I could be wrong nope. about that. Okay. Um, this uh, I remember having to convince my mom yeah to to go with me to get this game and she'd never heard of it before and i was like terrified petrified of doing it because uh i this is around the time that those news reports were going around of like mass effect is this game where you do the alien sex Mm -hmm. with people and stuff and i was like i want to play this game for the the space adventures and it sounds so cool but i can't let my mom hear about the space sex stuff i think eventually i think she did ultimately like see a newscast or something that that said something about that she was like wasn't that that game we went and bought the other week and i was like yeah and she was like okay whatever you're like i think it was like 14 or 15 at the time or something like that she's like who cares (laughs) (laughs) you're old enough Uh, my parents were always like lax about i mean i was playing quake Mm. 3 arena when i was like eight years old and i was playing like call of duty and like the original call of duty when i was young as well so uh (laughs) it's it's whatever (laughs) yeah my uh my mother was not lax about that stuff for a very long time and like if basically if there had been a scenario where i wasn't allowed to have gotten mass effect i would have gotten my dad to get it and he would have been totally cool with it i got my parents a divorce and um mass effect would guess was like an instance where it was because i would have been like 15 at the time it was finally like an instance where she was, I guess, getting more lax about these things because, I mean, I was 15 years old. Like, I could handle you know things. How the, you know how the world, like, they're putting you through I know class where babies at that come point. From. And you're like, yeah, it's, you know how the world works at that point. Yeah. You know everything you need to know by the time you are 15 years old. Yeah. Especially the fact that it is not just a game. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, I love it when good memes happen right before the podcast starts. It's always a good time. It's always yeah. A good, good there were no, <laughs> there were no ninja, there were no ninja references when we recorded this yesterday. Nope. Uh, sadly, See, uh, he net, was completely irrelevant when we recorded it yesterday. Oh, <laughs> hmm. uh, it was he was just the guy who used to be like, why can't, why doesn't every NFL kicker make every field goal ever? Why can't they just kick the ball good? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. Uh, today we are talking about Dragon Age Origins, and specifically we're talking about the Urn of Sacred Ashes, a mission that, uh, as, as we talked about before, but again, we are, we are retreading, I promise, listener at home, we will not, uh, we will go back over all of our thoughts just for you, uh, ended up being a mission that I at least felt was very emblematic of what makes this game good. It, mm-hmm. in like a very almost self-contained way uh it captures a lot of what i like about bioware and a lot of what i like about their their mission design in particular and the way they incorporate a lot of different things and kind of uh when they're at their best they mess around with their own formula so uh to start off here we do actually have branching paths to get into this quest so through one way or another we know that we have to find brother genitivi who has been on the hunt for the urn of sacred ashes which is let's like get this out of the way it's the holy grail it's this is the search for the holy grail Mm. this is the knight's templar (laughs) um they don't really try to hide it uh 
and we can either we have to go to Denerim and talk to Genitivi who we find is missing he's we haven't seen him around and his assistant Waylon is giving us some information about where he went and we can either get sent on a wild goose chase that will lead us back to Waylon or if we are smart like all three of us here are we just talk our way through or in in Andrew's case I guess go snooping a bit more. that's right um i really i really enjoy that uh you just went the route of well i'm gonna take a look around just to make sure like all, that right. scene that happens in all those movies where uh there's some bad stuff going on and one character is like well i'm gonna take a look around the house just to make sure or whatever <laughs> and everyone yeah. like goes a little bit on edge yeah um, my character my character had a high has a high uh nosiness stat it's it's critical. It's critical to this exactly. particular section that you be nosy, that you be all up in Wayland's business, who is not exactly. the real Wayland, by the way. Not yes. Waylon. We we uh, find that out. We find that out if if you snoop, you find out that it's not the real Wayland. Right. We find the real Wayland stuffed away in the back with Genitivi's research, and the cultist just well, as we learn, he is a cultist and he tries to kill you. Uh, which, if everything else in this uh mission is basically just the holy grail then this is the mad eye moody moment <laughs> and we gotta confront uh barty crouch i'm just gonna like throw references into this episode ken and just like pepper it and see which ones stick with you because after our first recording of this i'm now fascinated by which pop culture references you do and don't understand <laughs> it seems it seems like ken doesn't like franchises starring harrison ford I, you guys just not. ended that sentence that Ken doesn't like franchises. <laughs> it would be pretty <laughs> That <dead> is <laughs> also true. <laughs> um, oh, boy. So as after we kill the cultist, uh, we check out Genitivi's notes and see he has gone to a place called Haven, which we have not really heard of up to this point. Uh, it's way off to the west. It only pops up on our map once we have found these notes. And, I mean, part of the part of the interest here is that it's this place that you've never really heard mentions uh doesn't really get talked about much and then once you get there a guard greets you is immediately like hey you should leave you're like a lowlander you need to get out of here you don't belong here and so we already get some uh some creepy vibes from this and as we venture through the town it gets creepier and creepier uh there's a kid who's like hey turn around go back you don't belong here and stuff like that and eventually uh we get to the shop and I believe all of us stumbled across this the same way. But uh, and Andrew, how'd you how'd you do with the nosiness in the shop? Well, two for you two. know, <laughs> yeah, I'm two for two. I did the same thing. I uh, t- I think I talked to the 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 clerk that was working in the shop, and he was not being very helpful, and he had you know very little that I needed to trade, and so I you know started looking around, seeing if there was anything to steal. Uh, and I stumbled on another uh, another dead body. Just all kinds of dead bodies everywhere in this mission. It's incredible. It's it's now, great. Now, I, I had a question for you guys uh, about the the dead body uh, thread in uh-huh. this uh, in this uh, section. Um, was there something that I missed that explained you know how these cultists were able to take on uh, the form of other characters? I was just thinking that when we were talking about Waylon a second ago I was like did they ever talk about how he had well I guess it doesn't it wouldn't matter because only like Genitivi would know that that's not the real Waylon but we've never met Waylon before so 
Yeah, you that know, was always he, my reading, that he was just, like, saying that was who he was, and we, not knowing any better, would yeah. believe him initially. Yeah, I had that thought, too, though. I was like, wait a minute, how did how did we think he was the real Waylon? I was like, oh, wait, we don't actually know what Waylon looks like. Right, but then I wonder, like, the other people in Denerim, like, would they know what the real Waylon looked like, so he would need to use magic for that? I was just, I was just wondering, I was expecting some sort of, you know, lore pickup that I would find... That would so explain sort of like polyjuice potion situation or whatever. Yes, yeah, exactly. To take it back to Harry Potter, I was expecting something <laughs> to explain, uh, you know, how he Barty crouched. Yeah, it's. Um, I I think, I mean, we can probably just use Occam's razor here and say that he just said he was Waylon because also yeah. this dude kind of folded like a card table under pressure. Yeah. Like mm. he, it did not take much to get him to talk. So. Uh, I'll just assume that he's a pretty low-level cultist that was just left there to uh, to keep an eye out and and make sure nobody found the body. I guess, um, you know. Yes, I'll I'll accept that. Yeah, and once we've kind of turned the town, they all come out and start trying to kill us, and we can discover various other things, like you mentioned, the dead body of the knight and uh, an altar that has various human blood and stuff in it, and and one of the things that gets brought up at the altar and i think uh is important we bring up before we move on to the next section is that this mission does a really good job of incorporating your companions into the story like not just the warden not just one or two companions but it feels like your party is involved in what's going on and it has Mm -hmm. some bearing on what actually happens in the story as well however like major or minor that is but in the case of at least the beginning uh sten has one major scene that Ken and I didn't see because we brought along different party members, but Andrew, you actually arrived here with Sten, and uh, I'm kind of interested to hear how that turned out, how that resolved. Yeah, so I did this. Um, I did this before you guys did, so I didn't have Wen, who I definitely would have brought if I did. So I still had Sten at this point. Um, and when you get past the guard and get into the village, Sten uh, challenges you and says, "We're supposed to be fighting the Darkspawn." We shouldn't be here. You don't know what you're doing as a leader. And then he attacks you. Um, and you have to, you know, beat his ass. And if you do, he's like, okay, I underestimated you. And I respect you now. Um, which was a fun uh, character moment. Because before this, Sten had not been interesting to me really at all. Um, no. But then having this moment where, uh, you know, my character and Sten, uh, you know, sort of grew to have like a mutual respect for each other um made me more invested in that character and if he had you know if he could heal i would definitely include him in the party but mm. my uh i my i do wonder though like are there other options there like can you tell him to leave after that or can you kill him like what do you have to just leave it on that note of like oh, okay we're chill now because uh, i think i don't I don't know if you can pass a persuasion check because my persuasion skill is uh, not super high. Mm. I put it. I put most of my points into strength just because I have, you know, had experiences in the past with CRPGs where I just feel like I'm very underpowered for uh, encounters. So I put a bunch into strength. Mm. Like um, as someone who's playing max persuasion right now, you're doing the right thing because combat was probably much easier for you in this section yeah. than it was for me. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Uh, I do know. I looked it up later that you have an option to send Sten away if you want. Mm. And I think you get the same option when he confronts you at the campfire later, which is what happened for me if you didn't bring him along in this specific quest. He still confronts you at the campfire and is like, hey, 
you know, like, wait, what are we doing? What's going on here? How are we going? Yeah. To, like, how is any of this going? I thought we were going to kill the Darkspawn. I thought we were going to kill an Archdemon. Like, we're just walking around in the mountains. Pay attention, I... Sten. Like, just, like, this, we're all, we're working our way there. What are you doing, my dude? Yeah, see, Sten, see, Sten has that classic problem where he just sees point B off in the distance and he wants to get there. He's not thinking about the steps that get you from point a to point b you know he's a big picture guy he's not a day-to-day guy and we need Sten feel, to be the day-to-day guy i feel like sten is confused because i never have him in my party and so he doesn't know what's going on the way the other people do <laughs> yeah he's missing that, the plot that's that's how i feel is like every time uh, a uh, a mission comes up is like the the regulars roll out and then it's sten leliana and a dog sitting around a campfire <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> leliana probably hates it because she's like uh it's okay i guess i'll talk to the dog then yeah <laughs> <laughs> um sorry sten you just don't have much of a personality <laughs> yeah oh i can't wait until we get to iron bull oh Ugh. Ken, Ken and I had a long discussion in our uh, personal, our, our own like Slack that we have where we uh, sort out podcast stuff, and we started talking about what romances we were going to do for future games, because I was saying, oh, you know, I've always talked about doing the Sarah romance in Inquisition, but then Ken rightfully pointed out this is probably the last time I'll play Inquisition before dragon age 4 comes out so i should probably play whatever i feel is like my personal canon playthrough which is cassandra all the way um mm. yeah so we we had a long discussion ken's ken's looking to get freaky in inquisition <laughs> i mean just ride the bull once and then settle down for the Victorian. <laughs> I, did, I didn't uh, I didn't tell you guys this yesterday, but I killed my chances of getting really freaky in this game uh, because instead of uh, bringing Zevran on as a companion, I killed him. Wait, you killed Zevran? You didn't yeah. tell us this. What? Yes, okay. I, we didn't get we didn't okay. get into it yesterday. Oh, I didn't oh, realize. What what you, you why'd you kill what you what do you do? So I just... didn't realize I didn't realize he was a companion character. I thought he was just some oh. dick assassin <laughs> who was after me. <laughs> Oh no! So That's I was like, really I'm good. not. I was like, I'm not leaving any loose ends. This guy is gone. I mean, fair though. I mean, it, from the perspective of you have not played a lot of Bioware games, especially like, I could see how you could play that section and be like, Oh no, Zevran, Zevran sucks. Like he's he's yeah. clearly trying to trick me. I'm just going to kill him. Yeah, I mean, and then I listened to you guys and was like, Oh, I, you know, I, uh, you know cut myself off from the cool orgy scene and you know now, <laughs> now i kind of want to you know go safe scum yes. and bring him back yesterday we we talked for a long time about uh how you can harden various characters in order to then uh have a moment with with isabella uh who i went to go see at the beginning of this episode because i wanted to get the duelist uh classification or specialization or whatever uh which actually i thought I think in my head I had an idea of what it was going to do for my character and then once I actually looked at the skill tree I was like wait this doesn't really help my character all that much I thought it was going to make me better at like frontlining as a rogue but instead it just kind of makes me like better at one-on-one fighting it it Mm. makes sense within the class I guess but I was hoping it would give me something that would just like buff up my chances of dodging and all that instead it's like a passive defense boost and then a few like attacks that you can get and and i don't know it, it was not what i wanted 
but mm-hmm. then again, I'm beginning to think that Rogue is not what I wanted. <laughs> now, is is <laughs> there is there anything you can get for your Rogue that uh, makes them able to attack? You know, from the front, because you you've talked about how the rogue strategy is basically just get behind people and attack right, them yeah. in their backs. It's all but it, it's all backstab. Okay, so there's nothing you can get that can make them you know stronger at like, you know, oh, face to face attacking the face. Probably not, uh, okay. because that would make them probably too good if you did mm. that. If we're getting mm-hmm. into like game, hashtag game theory here, yeah. Uh, then like that's kind of the role that like a warrior like a damage focused warrior would serve right uh, which is what i usually play in this game i i have when the last couple times i played origins i would go warrior and it would be alistair and myself or sten and myself and i'd have one of them be like either myself or or them probably them would be the uh the tank and then I would yeah. be the damage dealer, like the one who has like the big sweeping arcs and all that kind of stuff. Because right. you, you can do a lot of damage as a warrior in this game, especially if you end up getting the Reaver class, which you can get in this mission here. But uh, you can do some pretty significant damage from the front as a warrior. But uh, the thing with rogues is that I think they have the highest damage potential overall. Because when I was really uh, okay. cooking, I could kill... Like, like in this specific mission that we're playing, like, for example, uh, when we go up to the top of the mountain and we fight, well, the top of this particular mountain, and we fight uh, the father who is kind of leading this, this local band of cultists, uh, I could basically two-shot him once I mm. got on him from the front or from the back, just using my, oh, my, okay. dual, my dual weapons, like I do my dual weapon sweep and then like either one more attack or one more ability would, would usually finish somebody off. And my problem at this point tends to be that I have trouble closing the distance because usually in, in dragon age two, you get some tools like, uh, I want to say there's like a blink or a teleport that you can get as a rogue in dragon age two. And that like really changed, like that made me want to play rogue because it felt a lot like Vanguard charge shotgun where you just like jump on an enemy and, and annihilate them. But, uh, in this game, not so much you kind of just walk around all awkward like in that way yeah. that dragon age so often does <laughs> and uh it, it just doesn't it feels kind of goofy at times it it feels less action game that like just a hair less action game than i want it to compared to like mm. a mass effect i understand that this is like a crpg series at its heart right uh, it has that Baldur's gate blood in it but there is a part of me that kind of wants to hack and slash a little bit more than this game lets me Uh, right and and i don't know moving forward i don't know if that's a good thing that it will do that or not Mm. considering ken i'm gonna bring this up now since we're gonna be topical today and also because we're re-recording i have to do things to keep (laughs) this fresh Mm -hmm. um just today we got an announcement from larian studios that they're going to be showing the first gameplay of Baldur's gate 3 at Mm. pax east I'm interested to hear from you. Uh, do you care at all? <laughs> like I, that sounds—I know that sounds callous, but uh, essentially we are like Bioware players. But mm. I've always wondered for people who like Bioware RPGs where their taste tends to fall. Because for me, what I like out of Bioware actually falls towards what you would consider like their more recent stuff like mass effect and dragon age whereas the further back in there you know i can probably if we get to the funding level that that we want to get to patreon.com slash normandy fm 
uh, and we play KOTOR, I can probably get through KOTOR. I've played, like, mm-hmm. probably about, uh, let's say, an hour of KOTOR in my life. And I was like, oh, this doesn't feel great, but I could play it. But right. I'm interested to hear you as, like, a Bioware fan who has also played other Bioware games, the same, like, area as me, whether that sort of Baldur's Gate-style CRPG is something that you want in this day and age. Uh, I would say, like, I'm not, like, actively disinterested, but I am, like, pretty much disinterested in the way that, like, Baldur's Gate, as, like, a name, as a franchise, doesn't mean really anything to me personally. Mm-hmm. As, like, both this person who's never played it, but also just, like, didn't go back that far into Bioware's catalog that that style of game really resonates with me in the same way. Because, like, you know, I, like I say, I'm a fan of Bioware's games, but that generally leans towards a very specific type of like, like a very specific type of game that like is more, like more along the lines of things that like Greedfall was something that emulated the things that I cared about in a Bioware game more than something going back that far would. Mm. So, have you guys played Divinity: Original Sin two? I've played some of it. I have not okay. gotten as far into it as I would like to. I'm in the same camp. I'm in the same camp. I played probably 15 to 20 hours of it, maybe. Oh, God, I'm nowhere near that. I think okay. uh, when I played it, I was still on that first island that you... Because, uh, okay, I, I've i played Original Sin 1 and Original Sin 2, and I always forget which ones has which opening. This is the one where you the boat crashes, right? You're on the yes. boat and you escape. Okay, yeah. It's the other yeah. one where you wake up already crash-landed on okay or whatever. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Or maybe you arrive there by boat. It's all boats, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked what I played of Original Sin Two. But I, I was asking because, man, like, and, and I think it's interesting having you here, Andrew. Like, you've played a lot of those like older Bioware games now, and they they skew a lot more towards that Original Sin style of like very classic CRPG design. I mean, even if if you play like like I do in this uh, section of the game, where later on in in this level you start going through a lot of areas that have a lot of very tactical design uh, like tactical I can totally talk tonight I promise tactical (laughs) design choices where you have to uh, organize your party and you can kind of zoom out to that top down perspective and issue orders and if you're playing on mouse and keyboard you can actually click and drag like it's a very old strategy style CRPG Um, I don't know I think old me would have said i was not and i definitely feel that like six months ago i didn't care much about Baldur's gate but after playing this far into dragon age origins and really getting into the weeds of of all this kind of like tactical depth that exists i'm finding myself wanting to maybe give those kinds of games another shot uh and and see what it's all about because everyone i know who has played far enough into original sin 2 has said it's like an absolute masterpiece is incredibly worth your time yeah and i'm i'm curious to see uh what larian does with Baldur's gate uh 3's combat because they have you know gotten a lot of praise for the uh turn-based combat that they did in the divinity original Mm -hmm. sin games and i'm curious to see if they keep that and like transplant that into the Baldur's gate uh you know universe or if they uh try and find their own version of the real-time possible combat that crpgs actually or most crpgs of the time actually used 
And I mean, the other critical factor that we're now talking about, and which I'm now going to use to segue into the next part of Dragon Age Origins, uh, is that Bioware games, by extent, have a lot of choice in them. Things that will have either short-term or long-term ramifications that will pan out over the course of a game and possibly even over the course of a series. Uh, and here we have Brother Genitivi, who we find locked up in the Chantry. Uh, he's been apparently tortured or but still kept alive or something. Not quite sure why when everyone else that has come to visit Haven has been apparently killed. But uh, Genitivi was just kind of kept around to beat up on, I guess. I don't know. I guess he's like fun to punch or something. <laughs> um, makes a funny like squeaky duck noise when you punch him. It's great. Um <laughs> But we we find him locked up in the, the father's bedroom. And uh, after looting a medallion from the father's corpse, uh, we get told that this is the key that unlocks uh, a local temple, which apparently holds the, the urn of sacred ashes or like the gateway to the urn of sacred ashes, uh, which, by the way, we have not fully talked about yet why we're doing this quest it's because the urn of sacred ashes is the actual urn of the ashes of andraste who's the prophet of the maker in the religion of dragon age um do they i mean do they give an actual name it's not called like the way that we call christianity christianity there's not like a religion name for Um, this is there ken I, they just say like oh are you like do you believe in the chantry or do you believe right. in the maker or whatever right that i don't think there's ever been an official name but i'm gonna look it up because later, it's, uh, it's dragon age so i figure there's probably a name for it but i cannot think of it for the life of me right now like uh, is, it is it like androstian or the the chantry is based on the chant of light a series of teachings written by androst i never that's not technically the religion i guess but that is like a like the holy text i guess yeah okay so they have like a holy text and a prophet and a god and all that but they do not have like a fancy name they got to get on that you got to make that brand yeah androstian androstian chantry yeah yeah so I, I guess you would call that like you the same as you call it like christianity because it's based on christ boy we're getting into theology this is a good podcast after all you gotta Um, they need better branding i i'm with you if you can't you know you gotta have a name for your religion that's like that's like 101 stuff that's 101 i think they probably get more into like the specifics of names and shit as like the series goes on and i think that's just a lot of again goes back to the fact that dragon age origins is not a series game it just it was supposed to be a one-off but uh but as as we go into this temple we do have a choice about whether we want to well i mean before this point even we can say whether we want genitivi to come with us or not uh and once we're in the temple we get an additional choice of whether we want genitivi to to hang around or whether we want to send him back because we think it's a little too dangerous for him to hang around um which you can get varying levels of approval and disapproval uh i found that there you do get disapproval from some characters if you send genitivi away when you first find him but if you bring him into the temple you can kind of talk him into it and be like hey you know there's like traps and spikes and stuff like that everywhere and it's probably better that you like go hang out somewhere where you won't possibly die (laughs) than hang around here uh which will also make a decision that we're working on uh 
that that might possibly come up later it might be easier to do that decision with jen and tv not around but um both of y'all had him hang around i had him go home because he's kind of you know like got wounds and and he's old and stuff mm. <laughs> um and and as we start to progress through this this ruined temple which is really like it is total dungeon design one thing that we didn't comment on yesterday uh that that i wanted to bring up today is that there's a bunch of like different layering uh things that you have to pass in this first dungeon like you have to get various different keys and you need uh several there's like something that you need to get to light the the torch that that pops up later on in uh in the dungeon and and like there's all just kinds of little things that you have to do but for the most part you're just kind of clearing out cultists in until you get to the the ringleader of the cultists which is Colgrim, and you get kind of the next major plot beat here and this is where i think you get kind of one of the first really interesting choices of the the urn of sacred ashes mission which is do you side with the cultists or not you actually get the option if you talk to him if you're not a monster like ken shepherd who, who just murders people on first who just murders people that do human sacrifice okay look you know it's it's a, it's a world of grays ken what is it if, though what if when they sacrificed that human uh 10 humans were saved huh huh would you divert the train then ken would you divert the train well i don't know what you said because you broke up in the middle of saying it so would you divert the train would you save would you kill the one to save the 10 i mean probably yeah see this is who, who were they saving in this scenario well that's not that's not the issue ken it's, it's but it is like are they saving 10 nazis or are they saving 10 normal people mm. <laughs> fair fair what if what if it's uh what if you don't know what if you can't know the 10 people that you are saving and you just don't mm. know well it's a good thing that i'm not in that particular situation right now mm. i'm just murdering people that are doing human sacrifices i i'm just gonna i'm gonna find they killed those red cliff guards <laughs> just fair. trying that's, to that's just fair. trying to save all our lehman <laughs> yeah but but the knights the knights are bad what if i told you the knights are bad oh no oh no um so anyways all knights are bastards uh, ken ken mercilessly <laughs> slaughtered the the cultist leader but andrew and i were like oh let's hear him out <laughs> um, i did I, I heard him out and then i mercilessly slaughtered him as did i but you know like <laughs> at least give him his chance to you know he's been working on his speech all day you know give him his chance to say it uh right and and Colgrim ends up making an offer where you basically find that this cult that lives in Haven believes that Andraste has risen again and that uh, Andraste is alive once more. And so they, once they realize that you want the urn of sacred ashes, so you can get a pinch of the ashes to go and save Arl Eamon, who has fallen ill because of the poisoning by Ken's friend Jowin. See? It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> uh you uh you have the option of pouring a vial of dragon's blood into andraste's ashes to defile them because they're basically like okay well if the real andraste is alive then the ashes are just an affront to the new body of the god like i think he says something about like oh those mortal ashes are like an affront or something like that uh and 
it's basically a best of both worlds scenario because you get an option where you're like okay well i don't have to murder any more cultists which as morgan points out is like hey we've kind of murdered a lot of people on our way up here maybe if there's a way to not kill more people we should think about doing it surprisingly cogent reasoning coming from morgan when previously she was just like i don't know just kill all the mages (laughs) um but obviously there are also members of your party who have a significant love for andraste for the chandri or just respect for the relics of old uh and that would you know that would be kind of a dick move you know (laughs) um also as ken mentioned the cultists are doing bad things as well so putting a stop to them probably overall a good idea which i think andrew you just jumped into the the wholesale slaughtering and then i like kind of had to do a persuasion check with morgan to be like hey you know these cultists are actually pretty bad people and she's like yeah you're right let's just blow them up (laughs) yeah i don't think i had morgan in my party i don't think she i didn't have to persuasion check her i don't think I think it's only if you take a certain... Because I noticed it because I, I, I didn't mention this uh, yet in this podcast, but I had a lot of difficulty in some of the combat sections in this area because, as I mentioned, I am highly specced into things like persuasion and survivalist training and all that kind of stuff, and not necessarily combat. So I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, oh, I should start putting points into combat skills because, uh, oh, buddy, <laughs> the, the fights are starting to get tough and uh so i had a save right before this dialogue tree and i must have jumped back to it probably three or four times as i was trying to beat this boss uh this boss fight with colgrim and so one of them i tried just varying up the dialogue that i went through and i realized that oh if i don't take this tree then morgan doesn't question me at all and we just get to fighting but uh if i do take this tree then i can say something like i don't know if i want to do this and morgan will be like try to convince you into it and Mm. and alistair will try to convince you out anyways uh once we get into the fight with colgrim it's basically like it's only five people it's like it's three frontline warriors uh at least for me it was and then like two backline mages but boy they can mess you up if you're not prepared for that um the mages especially because my rogue was like haha i'm gonna run right at you and they were like we know you're going to do that we're just gonna cone of cold you and then blast you mm-hmm. <laughs> um but it, it was a it was a fun little fight and eventually we do kill colgrim and and pick up his really sick axe and his horn which we find out is useful for calling in a freaking dragon <laughs> as we walk <laughs> outside and see um and you mentioned this when we recorded last andrew the uh as we progress through the caves like we get through the temple and then we kind of get into these caves that lead out towards the actual summit the whole time not only are we kind of always moving uphill like always like going up in elevation but we're seeing these uh monsters these like drake monsters start to appear and the further uh along we go the larger and larger they get you know you can face increasingly large sizes of dragons so once we get to this big reveal it feels kind of like the the design of the overall dungeon has been building up to this moment of emerging on the mountaintop and then on equal footing here's this high dragon that is clearly the andraste that they are worshiping now as as the quote-unquote risen andraste 
and also an optional boss if we wish to fight it. Yeah, and I think it's cool that it is optional because for me at least that served as like a subversion of my expectations from, mm-hmm. you know, the the build up that they do throughout the dungeon. Because I was expecting, I'll get up there, I'm going to have a really tough fight against, like, a big dragon. I'll probably die a bunch of times. And then I got up there and was just able to, like, sneak underneath the dragon, which was a cool moment for me. It it was really cool. Um, I know, I don't think any of us here tried fighting the dragon, right? No, no. No. Yeah, yeah, it goes bad. We just went straight to that uh, not ominously named gauntlet. <laughs> Uh, to talk to a ghost. And this is the part where I get to poke fun at Ken again because Hmm. Ken has not seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So he doesn't realize that this entire section is like one giant uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade reference. But that's all good because Ken has promised me off podcast that he will watch it. Uh, He has signed a blood oath saying that he will. So so I did none of those things. Uh Yeah, okay. Indiana Jones is like uh, reverse Star Trek because the uh, odd ones are good. So if oh, you yeah. just if yeah. you just watch you know if you just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is the first one, and Last Crusade, which is the third, and skip. Wait, uh, te- is is Temple of Doom the second one? Oh, yeah, well, Tem- I always Tem- thought it was the first. No, no, Raiders of the Lost Ark is first, and then. Uh, and then it's Temple of Doom. Because they had a... You know how Star Wars, it's like the first Star Wars movie was just called Star Wars. And then they realized it was going to be a franchise and renamed it A New Hope. Oh. So, so Indiana Jones has the same thing, where that movie was just called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then when they made it into a franchise, I believe they added Indiana Jones and to the title of that movie. See, I think I'm just going to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark tonight. I think that's where my night's going at this point. Yeah, yeah. Raider, Raiders rules, Last Crusade oh. rules, Temple of Doom, and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are both, uh, you know, not as good. And in the Temple of Doom's case, uh, racist. So, yeah, yeah, you're good skipping <laughs> that one. Whereas you watch Raiders and Indiana Jones just, like, beats up and shoots Nazis. It's great. Yeah. It's excellent. Um, anyways, we get into this gauntlet, and a ghost, essentially, a spirit, uh, informs us that he has uh, been honor-bound to protect the urn of the sacred ashes, and that we are to pass a series of, of tests of our piety to... Uh, to get through and see if we are worthy of the sacred ashes, which Ken, I know you're very eager to take a test of faith. Uh, yep, let me tell you about all of them gods that I'm totally a huge fan of. All the all that faith. I stand and draw stay. Let me tell you, Ken, you never see him not praying. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of praying. Um, Always on my knees. <laughs> I wasn't going to be the first to make that joke. It's fine. I'm here to make it for you. <laughs> Uh, I do enjoy this podcast, Ken. <laughs> um, once we get through, we get into a section that I think was probably one of my standout moments. And, and oh, hold on, I am skipping over something real quick. Uh, before we go into the actual first section of the gauntlet, uh, the the spirit or whatever uh, asks a question of both your player character and of each character in your party, which I thought was a really cool touch because you both get like you get reminded of your character's origin in a really interesting way for ken uh he brought up jowen and for uh myself and andrew he brought up uh shiana and 
whether our characters felt responsible for the things that happened and we had an option to either take responsibility and like answer honestly and then see how our party reacts or to like just abstain from answering uh and then it goes through each member of the party after that and kind of goes over their hopes and fears or in morgan's case just complete deflection of the question though the word flemeth does get mentioned before she can cut the spirit off uh I, I do want to ask uh, specifically for Ken, because I thought this was interesting. Uh, you had a very interesting answer when Zevran was questioned. Yeah. Uh, Zevran... Uh, the, the Guardian brings up like the Zevran is an assassin, that he has killed many, many people, but then he's like, there's one person that you regret, and he mentions that it was a woman, and then Zevran kind of like cuts him off and is like, yes, yes, you're right, I, I, I definitely regret that, and I'm ready to move on, I don't want to talk about specifics. And uh, I know that plays into kind of, like, his late-game conversations, but I haven't gotten to that point yet to, like, kind of interrogate what that was and why he is so desperate to not talk about it, I guess, amongst other people. Mm-hmm. It's, um... I I was thinking about this after we recorded the other night, uh, like, why I like this whole area so much, and specifically, like, this moment, uh, which I think the whole gauntlet is... is incredibly good like it's it's a very good slice of dragon age that that reminded me like it, it gave me almost inklings of what i like about later stage bioware when you look at like mass effect 2 and especially mass effect 3 and the citadel dlc i was like why do i like this so much and it was this idea that they were suddenly for a lot of this game i felt that companions were only as deep as you wanted them to be and a lot of the conversations you've had with them up to this point uh especially characters like liliana and win have had very surface level conversations unless you've actively sought to like boost their approval and get them on your side and all that kind of stuff and try and start their missions uh the only really deep conversations i think most of us have had at this point are either with alistair who's kind of your great warden counterpart or with our respective love interests um Mm -hmm. characters like zevran and morgan and the thing I liked about this section was it forces a lot of these characters to open up, but it also kind of like puts a pin in things. It's almost like the right. game telling you, Hey, there's more to these characters. You should maybe spend time talking to them. And right. uh, in, in the same way that I thought it was interesting that Andrew before was like, Oh, you know, I thought Zevran was just some asshole <laughs> that I was yeah. supposed to kill. Um, it's kind of interesting that it goes out of its way to be like, Hey, uh maybe you should go talk to these characters about the things that we just talked about because that might be important and interesting and it's not even necessarily like mass effect 2 where it's the loyalty mission and it's going to affect whether they live or die down the line although in some cases it might (laughs) um it it in general just kind of encourages you to be like hey you know don't think of this as just your traditional high fantasy dungeons and dragons romp where you're going to be running through dungeons and chasing the evil villain and all that there's there's some character writing here too we want you to like pay attention to that uh, i think that's why i came away from this section liking it so much mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but then we move into the part that i think all of us unanimously agreed was very good uh which is uh, a series of riddles told you by ancient specters uh of various named characters from throughout the history of thetis like actual thetis that you, I think you could have heard of at this point if you're reading codex entries and things like that. Mm, but yeah, uh, they all are characters that kind of play into the history of Andraste and and Andraste's life uh, when she was alive on Thetis. 
and the way you earn those lore dumps is by solving a riddle so they'll tell you something like oh i'm what every man sees but or no man can see me but every man fears me and all that kind of stuff and and they'll ask you the question it'll be like oh it's it's hunger they they fear hunger and you'll be like right and i'm the guy who starved the whole army because andraste <laughs> wanted me to and i don't regret it and i'm like oh this dude's metal <laughs> um but I, I like this section a lot, and and Andrew, you brought this up the other day, so I'll let you talk a bit about it, but, like, the dialogue system makes this section really shine. Right, yeah, I think, um, you know, the the fade is, like, a, to say the least, uh, controversial uh, segment of this game, Sucks. because... <laughs> Well, you know, we, we can we can uh, we can have you know different views on that. But it, my podcast, and I say it sucks. <laughs> but uh, you know, a reason that it is not received very well is that it introduces new mechanics uh, that seem sort of gimmicky or extraneous to the core game. Um, and what this section does so well is that it is introducing something new and novel, which is the riddles, but it's uh, doing it through a system that you have throughout the whole game, which is, you know, your dialogue choices, which makes it feel um, much more of a piece and, like, holistic with the rest of the game, um, but also, like, a new and interesting way for them to use the system that they have built for the game. And Ken, how did you feel about this being as like a lore dump, you know, because this is really the first time that if we haven't been reading codexes and things like that, if we haven't been paying attention to the things that we should ostensibly be paying attention to, even though I feel like I've skimmed over probably about a dozen codex entries at this point. <laughs> um, like, how did you feel about this as a lore dump for the greater story? Because some of this stuff surprisingly ends up being important way later in the series i think it's just a lot of the scale of the stuff that origins does is like very small even for all of the various different civilizations and cultures that origins introduces but this is something that you know whether regardless of what what your origin is or where your you know head canoning that your character exists within this world it is going to be something that is going to have like outstretching consequences, like for Dragon Age Two, for Inquisition, and this is like foundational to the, the society that all these characters live in. Even as things are being revealed, like especially in Inquisition, like there's a lot of sort of revelational things happening there. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is still one of the moments where you're like this. This world has like a franchise potential that maybe it didn't realize it did at the time. I always like I always go back to that quote and think about it like the idea that they didn't intend for it to carry on and I I don't know if that makes me more like wonder why they would think about it in that way and be like put all this care and attention into a game if it wasn't going to expand beyond just right. origins that also makes me kind of go like oh you know that's actually kind of really cool that they put all this care and attention into making this world regardless of how far it was going to actually go and you know right we're we're definitely going to be talking in later uh like entries like like in dragon age 2 and inquisition about how well those threads carry across game to game but this was definitely the moment replaying it now where i was like wow they were ambitious for <laughs> for what they were mm -hmm. doing here like there was you could have just had this be the riddles 
right. that would be it and that would be fun and that would be neat but having it actually play into the like i was sitting there going oh i need to look up who these characters are in the wiki later and i kind of want to learn more about them and why yeah. all of this matters so much uh it it really adds to this game and and i think that's one of my major takeaways from Origins so far is that I've always enjoyed the Dragon Age story, but I'm starting to gain a larger appreciation for the lore as a whole. Uh, mm. Just the world that has been built around these games. Uh, as, as we progress further in, we do meet uh, the character that we brought up earlier for Ken. It was Jowen for us. Uh, for Andrew and I, it was Shiani. Uh, and we get kind of a mild resolution to what our character would ostensibly be worrying about in this situation. Uh, I mentioned for me that it was this feeling of... I it, it, This was the moment where I realized that I was kind of buying into playing my character a bit. And uh, I actually mentioned this to Ken again in our, in our Slack after the stream, or after our first podcast recording yesterday that when i played mass effect for this uh for normandy fm i was playing femshep and i was kind of trying to just play this character that i had built in my head uh you know i was playing a version of a character but traditionally when i play these games i tend to self-insert and for the start of this playthrough i was kind of playing you know like i was almost kind of just playing my hawk all over again because i feel like dragon age 2 is the easiest game in the series for me to just kind of play the character it as like my head version rather than like my how i would personally make these choices and stuff because it just really lets you buy into being charming hawk or whatever and and you know rogue hawk and all that uh but this was the part where I was like, oh, I've been self-inserting a little bit because I am actually like concerned about how Shiani right. is doing and how the alienage is faring. And I've actively avoided going back there because maybe I don't want to know just yet. Um, which is a really impressive like moment of, wow, this game has developed some level of emotional attachment for me that I did not expect it to. Uh, and it also mm. knew when to pull that card. Like it knew when like this was a good time when I'm you know, I've been going through the gauntlet and it's been giving me a lot of stuff that's very like making my character reflect a little bit and think and it's there enough time has passed. It feels like it was very well timed for where it sat in the story. Uh, you would have had to go through at least one uh, major story quest before you got here. So there would have been guaranteed enough time to pass. And I was just like, oh, this is good. This is well planned. Good job. Mm. Good job, Bioware. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken, you kind of gave me a mm, like you don't agree. Mm. No, 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 I do. I, I think in spite of all my various problems with this game so far, this was the point where it felt like it made things matter on a more personal scale, because, like, Jowen, or the... whatever you want to call this, like, spirit thing that is taking the form of Jowen, says, like, you need to forgive yourself for what happened as I have forgiven you. And I was like, okay! <laughs> I can do that! <laughs> it's... It- it's cool and then you know we get to go from that into uh doing the bridge thing from the last crusade with a bunch of switches and stuff which um i i fessed up to this yesterday uh did y'all have to use a guide to get through this part yeah i did okay you used a guide ken did you do it the honorable way or did you did you cheat not only yourself but the game <laughs> i mean it's just a game it's like you know it's whatever <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I, I mean, I probably could have brute forced this, but part of me wanted to know what would happen if I like let my protagonist just drop 
or whatever <laughs> but oh you know what i did skip over one part of the trial didn't i this is what happens when we record twice in a row uh yeah before we get to the bridge of ultimate despair and walkthroughs uh we do have to fight our own party which is kind of a fun exercise as as i think i remarked the other day it made me realize how weak my party is because i kind of steamrolled <laughs> <Yeah>. them <laughs> and i was like oh that's that's not good um Although it was kind of due to the fact that when I ran at Morgan, she was like, haha, well, if you're going to do that, then I'll do this. And she turned into a spider and did, like, absolutely nothing for the rest of combat. While my yeah. Morgan was, like, on the other side of the battlefield, chucking lightning and death at everybody. I was like, all right, neat. See, Great. see, but does it mean that your party is weak because you can beat them? Or does it mean that your party is strong because you can beat them? Oh, see, is, know, my, is my party uh, unstoppable? Or are they the, the immovable right. object or the unstoppable yeah. force? It's, okay. it's like, it's like, could God, you know, make a burrito so hot that even he couldn't eat it? You know, it's oh. one of those, it's one of those catch-22s. Ah, uh, see, that's a trick answer because, as Ken knows, there is no God. <laughs> oh, alright. Um, this is the part with the Guardian. I, I actually found, you can in this section i think you can like fight the guardian if you want and just like get through it that way if you want to just like murder a ghost to get to the urn of sacred ashes mm. <laughs> i'm kind of into that reasoning that you're like okay time to kill a ghost <laughs> it's like totally normal at this point um but after we get through that and get across the the mirror bridge and all that and get to the last trial which is a little bit of a disappointment compared to everything that came before it because you come up to an altar that says leave behind all your earthly possessions to walk through the flames and you know there's like a giant wall of flame between you and the ashes and i thought at this point it was gonna be like oh i have to be smart and open my inventory and dump all my stuff out and make sure i'm not holding anything and then it was like do you want to take your equipment off and i was like yes and i was like good job <laughs> and it cutscene walked me through the fire and i was like oh oh okay never mind then <laughs> uh it was still kind of funny to see everybody standing around in their really awkward looking underwear because <laughs> underwear in this game just looks absolutely silly uh like whoever designed the underwear in this game needs to maybe think about what underwear looks like <laughs> i mean hawk gets like these nice like sleeping pants like hawk gets to look like stylish when all his equipment is off uh so maybe they learn their lesson <laughs> Yeah, I'm now like I I actually can't remember off the top of my head what it looks like when you take your armor off in the other games, but it's it's not even the guys. The guys have like that silly loincloth, which I guess you know like kind of makes sense for the era and all that. But all the the women of Dragon Age have this weird like they have the loincloth, but then they have this weird almost modern looking bra on that's just like I don't know. <laughs> i don't think they don't i don't know if they're that advanced yet i know morgan's morgan's doing a lot of work with with her top and all that but i i was i was like i don't think there's been those advances yet in, in technology um but once you get through the fire and the flames and you move on to the actual urn of sacred ashes uh, we get a cool little moment where we go like, oh, cool, we passed all the tests and we're now found worthy of the ashes and all that. We're cool. And we could take a pinch uh, and then we can either choose to defile the urn if we took the dragon blood from Colgrim in the first place 
or we could leave it alone. And obviously all of us left it alone. But at this point we could theoretically defile the ashes, which would then lead to uh, another major split the party moment where that would cause Leliana to, if she was in the party, actually fight us uh, to the death at that moment. And uh, if she is back at the campfire, I think you have a moment where she just straight up leaves because she's like, that was... I, the only way to stop that, I believe, is to to have her hardened through her personal her personal quest uh, and change her personality that way, which you can do with Alistair as well. But Leliana's is kind of the more it's the more well known one because it's it turns her into the character that you see later on in Dragon Age Inquisition and all that, where she is mm-hmm. like she shows up as a hardened character, and in that game you can actually choose to soften her and bring her back to like what she was like at the beginning of Origins which is kind of an interesting thing. Although, Ken, I know that continuity of Leliana is one of your, uh, uh, one of the bees in your bonnet about Dragon Age. Mm. <laughs> um, but overall, we're now at the end. Uh, Andrew and I took the wonderful shortcut back to the front of the temple while Ken took the long way. And it needs to be more apparent. <laughs> it says it right on the map. You like walk by it as you're walking towards the gauntlet. <laughs> well, it should, actually, there should be a sign that points to it, to be honest. Like a waypoint. <laughs> yeah, just give me like a neon sign. I'm try- Okay, I was trying to remember this the other day. Do they actually start waypointing things in later Dragon Ages? Because I, the waypoints in this game have been especially spotty for me. And I was trying to remember if in the past they did a lot of those like, hey, here's the big arrow over the thing you need to do next or not. I could not remember. I, I don't distinctly have a lot of memories of having an issue navigating in those games, so I'm going to assume they probably did. Ah, okay. Well, we'll see. We'll get there eventually. but uh, Not soon enough! <laughs> we do have one last choice, which is uh, whether we let... Once we get back to Brother Genitivi, for me, I didn't have this problem. Brother Genitivi was at home nursing his wounds. I'll tell him about it later if I decide to. But <laughs> uh, for y'all, since you kept the, the injured old dude around, uh, he suddenly lights up about the fact that the ashes are real and holy crap. And he starts talking about how awesome this stuff is, but then also starts to get a little into an area of, oh, we got to tell the whole world about it in a way that might put the ashes in danger so right did you yeah, want jenna tv live i let him live but i didn't i r- recommended that he not turn it into like you know the world's largest ball of yarn you know it shouldn't be a tourist <laughs> attraction um but i didn't uh i didn't kill him you did not mm. throw a knife at him which no. is actually like that death scene is actually pretty sick i'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> the murder knife makes its first appearance in the show <laughs> mm. i am um, I let him live because I I don't have any stake in this. It doesn't really matter to me what happens to this temple and these ashes. And I'm just here to save all Eamon, and I don't really give a fuck about anything else. But I did say to him, like, whatever comes next is all on you. I'm, mm. I'm out of here. This is me walking away. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. I, I, I might have killed him in, in y'all's place. <laughs> so it's probably good that I let him go home. <laughs> so... <laughs> In, in all honesty, everything worked out in the end. But uh, overall, uh, I've already said how I felt about this mission, which is that I feel it's the moment when Dragon Age... I If if the woods were reminding me of why I like Dragon Age in the first place, this is the one that was like, 
right, this is where I can really see what Dragon Age becomes. I can really see the Bioware come through in these moments. Like, I just feel this mission, like, top to bottom is well-designed, it's well-put-together, it's, it's written well, I feel it's paced well. I think, like, its only shortcoming for me is that it falls into some of the issues I have with Origins as a whole with the way that it overly relies on dungeon crawling uh mm-hmm. and which can kind of soften the encounters overall um there are some really interesting encounters that we didn't talk about which are like uh the way that it throws these very groups of enemies at you with either there, there's one section where you have to fight a ton of cultists who are all unarmed but there's just a lot of them so you have to suddenly deal with swarm tactics and uh all the while you're dealing with the swarm there are a few mages off in the corner who are like throwing big spells at you there are other sections where there are drakes getting involved and then reavers kind of frontlining as there are fighters in the back line uh hitting you with arrows and spells like i thought this was top to bottom just a very cohesive mission it felt well designed it felt like it ramped up uh gradually over time and did a really good job of introducing cool things and then letting me see how they could evolve and then messing with expectations with the gauntlet and things like that i just overall really enjoyed the section of dragon age so andrew i guess i'll hear from you first like what did you think of the urn of sacred ashes yeah i agree with you and i think that it's good because it uh everything that it does well it does it's just the fundamentals of like what this game is executed really well Mm-hmm. Uh, or executed in like an interesting way like we talked about the riddles and how that is just like the dialogue system applied to something else and like a lot of the like tension of this mission is just like good environmental design like you're you know going up this mountain you're facing um, you know bigger and bigger dragons as you go um, which it just uh, you know builds a sense of anticipation uh builds a sense of dread and does it and like i think one of the most interestingly like uh designed dungeons that they've done so far and definitely like the aesthetic design is more interesting than like uh some of the other dungeons we've seen so far in the game Mm -hmm. ken how do you feel about this section um it's something like i'm guessing kind of coming to realize now is that for all my talk of, like, how the, like, the larger scale consequences of this expand out to Dragon Age as a franchise, but I think it also is one of the instances in this game really feeling consequential on a more personal level in terms of, like, everybody that is on this mission comes out a little bit different. And mm. even when you've, like, even say, like, when I went to the Circle, like, yes, I had a personal stake in that, but by this point, I'm not a Circle Mage, I'm a Grey Warden. I'm, like, a different person so like what happens here has a different effect on me as it is going to have on all the people like the templars and the, the mages involved where this is very much dedicated to the people that you are traveling with and fighting with and feels at least like on a, an independent one dragon age origins video game scale it feels like the most consequential in that way as well as not just in the ways in which it has larger ramifications for Dragon Age as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is interesting. The thing I was thinking about as we were talking through this episode was that I, in my head, I kind of tr- like to compare Dragon Age to Mass Effect uh, in their individual entries against each other. So, like, I, I see a lot of similarities between 
Mass Effect 3 and Dragon Age Inquisition and that they're both kind of games about uh, settling the larger conflicts of the world. You know, it's in Mass Effect 3, you're you're solving the genophage and you're solving the, the Corian and the Geth situation. In the Inquisition, you're like finally trying to put a stop to the Templars and the mages and, and many other like issues within Thetis that are distracting from the greater evil, the greater bad. And in the same way like Dragon Age 2 to Mass Effect 2, you're just kind of this ragtag bunch of uh, wild wild people i guess like you're just kind of outcasts you're uh, fucking left... nerds yeah you're left off to your own devices and uh although dragon age 2 maybe doesn't have that same uh tie into the larger plot that well no mm, i guess i suppose it does because it becomes the flashpoint for inquisition but um you know that's kind of the the outcast game where you're doing all the 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 seedy the the underbelly of the world and all that kind of stuff and so in that way like origins is definitely the mass effect one of the series and that it's the the very tropey in the way that mass effect one felt like a star trek video game dragon age origins feels like a lord of the rings video game like a very high fantasy type game and i think this was the first mission that gives you an inkling of where the series could ultimately end up going because of right. that that level of scale that it pulls back to, but then the way that it still manages to keep it very grounded in the characters around you. And, and like I mentioned with the riddle stuff before, like the lore is all great and that's all neat and everything, but the fact that it left me asking more questions afterwards and actually like wanting to seek those answers, like it, it showed. I've played these games before. I know some of the answers to this, and I know when I look up the lore later, I'm going to know. I'll be like, oh, right, it's that character. But the fact that this game can still inspire me to want to open wiki pages and learn more right. about the world uh, just reminds me of why I like the series in the first place. Mm. And, and maybe even why it has a different kind of pull for me than Mass Effect does, because I love Mass Effect. But I, I think it's its lore doesn't seem as i i don't know if i want to use the word like complex because that doesn't feel right i think but I, I feel like i have an easier grasp of what mass effect is because it is trying to be somewhat grounded in a world we understand right that's that sense. yeah and i think it's just in general the lore of mass effect is never quite as important to what's going on as like like as Dragon Age is this because like usually when you're talking about or like in, in most cases in Mass Effect if you're talking about the lore or like the sort of history of these people that doesn't really come into a head until later it's not necessarily involved in like the main plot of what's going on right and I think Dragon Age as a series is more well in varying ways because I, I think in general this series has a lot of problems with kind of addressing shit actually like moving forward and forward momentum Mm -hmm. But I think, in general, like, the histories of these people is more prevalent to what you're doing in the moment-to-moment -moment than it ever is in Mass Effect. I just I keep thinking about when we're going to eventually get to what the final episode of this series is going to be. Mm -hmm. Because that was really, like, the moment when I felt, oh, man, this is so much bigger. And there are so many places where this series can go now. And it's what keeps getting me excited for what dragon age 4 could possibly be is is and, and andrew i'm looking forward to you playing this stuff because you're 
it's it's all uphill for you from here you get to experience all this stuff for the first time i'm a little jealous i'm not gonna lie <laughs> like it's it's exciting yeah i'm excited for it i uh you know a lot of people that i know really love dragon age too so i'm excited to get to that one it's a, it's a good one i mm, the more can the more we think about it the more excited i get for us to get there because mm. god dragon age 2 man <laughs> uh that's gonna do it for this episode before we go uh a few quick housekeeping notes uh next week will be orzammar we will have one amy hart on to to chat with us about the land of the dwarves we're very excited for that uh we're going deep down to fraggle rock it's gonna be great (laughs) um uh as always we are normandy fm we have a patreon helps keep the lights on helps uh you know in some cases it helps fund us playing these games because i think at least in my case i had to buy new copies of mass effect 2 and 3 so (laughs) um we we love to shout out every week our awesome patreons if you want to be a supporter you can head over to patreon.com slash normandyfm and donate to us if you donate at a certain level you will get your name shouted out every week on the podcast those donors at this level this week are kevin kulikowski Ginny Wu, chris johns and anthony matthias thank you so much for donating and helping us keep going if you want to donate if you want to get us moving towards some of those higher goals maybe get us towards playing some jade empire some kotor maybe even some anthem if we get there one day <laughs> you can make me play anthem <laughs> um you can make me do things i don't want to do with money uh that's that's an option you have at your disposal uh if not if you just want to continue listening we are on many podcast services and you can also follow along at twitter.com slash show we did have a recent surge in people tuning in listening uh thanks to an awesome ars technica piece that one uh keen mayor i really hope i pronounced that right did i get that right ken yeah oh my god approximately okay well i hope i got if you're listening i hope i hope i got your name right he wrote an excellent article about how people years later are still playing mass effect 2 uh we are some of those people we're uh kenneth was quoted in the article giving his piping hot takes about mass effect 2 so um somebody's gotta do it yeah somebody's gotta be out there doing it spreading the good word so uh we are happy to see that we're happy for all of you who are now tuning in uh, we do have, we've done our full Mass Effect run all the way from one through Andromeda, so you can go back and listen to those on Spotify or your podcast uh, app of choice through our archives. Uh, also, uh, we want to give Andrew an awesome, a huge thanks. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on twice and doing this oh. podcast twice. You're already a two-timer. Well, thank you, for having, thank you for having me twice. It's, it was excellent. Where can the lovely people at home find your work and keep up with what you do? You can find me at FunnelChest94 on Twitter. Uh, funnel is F-U-N-N-E-L. Chest, you know, like your chest. And uh, 94, like uh, the second year of Bill Clinton's presidency. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. We love to think back to those days. That's right. (laughs) Simpler controversies in the presidency. That's Uh, right. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on Norman. We have watched and waited.